The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, Today's Talk, 640 Toronto. Friends, another week under our belt. Hopefully another week closer to our goals and wishes and dreams when it comes to planning and wealth creation. Uh, August has been okay, considering the year it's been. little uh, stability, shall I say. Uh, I'll tell you what's on the back of many uh, Wall Street and Bay Street practitioners' minds is the fall. September, historically, is the worst month of the year. And again, I don't want to be too dramatic. Uh, it tends to it tends to fall, but the, I think the average return for September is, is down 1% or 2%. So you don't really see it in the averages. You do see it in the historic, um, notable decliners of history. Many of them have occurred in the month of September and, of course, October. But October actually tends to be a better month. Um, nonetheless, uh, will the market retest the lows? Uh, bumping up against what's called a 200-day moving average right now. I'm talking technical friends, but I just want to set the stage for our, both our guests today are both market technicians. So we're going to get a little bit technical, but uh, we're always going to remind you to step it back and take a five or 10-year time horizon. I just sent out a fantastic note to my clients looking at all of the crises going back for the last century. And at the bottom of every crisis, five years later, the average return for the market is up 100%. Average return after after a crisis, five years forward, up 100%. So if you get nothing else from Wolfgang and Jack during Hi-Fi Radio, do not sell panic. You just can't sell. Once the market is down 20%, you can't sell panic. You can't do it. Too late. Uh, difference, you, can, you can sell peaks if you want. But even then, uh, if you bought any of the previous peaks, with the exception of this year, the, the little pullback we had, Basically, everyone's a winner. Any of the previous peaks in the market, if you bought the peak and held it to present day, rewind six months, you've made money. So peaks, troughs, you can truly buy them all when you extend time horizon. For some reason on Bay Street and Wall Street, we do like to get caught up in the noise. And well, I guess that's part of what we do and try to add alpha, as we call it, uh, minimize beta, if you want to remain technical for the show. Uh, Don Velo, a longstanding friend of mine, over 40 years of experience on, uh, I'm going to say Bain Wall Street. He's a Canadian boy. He's a certified market technician. He's an author, uh, past president of the Canadian Society of Technical Analysts. He's a real deal. Don, a frequent guest on Hi-Fi Radio, uh, thank you very kindly for spending some time with us this Saturday night. I, I do hope you are well. I hope the summer is treating you well. But off to my first question. Uh, I know you love seasonals. And I know you know that calendar well. Uh, what's in store for the next couple of months, Don? Yeah, excellent observations about what normally happens in the month of September. But well, let's first of all give you some background. The S&P 500, since it's low in June, is up 17%, and the TFC composite has gained 11%. Those are huge moves in a relatively short period of time. The question is, uh, given that September is coming up, where do we go from here? And the answer is, just as you mentioned, Markets have a history of going through a bit of a speed bump in the month of September, but after that, they have a history of moving significantly higher. So in terms of speed bump, um, Don, 
again, I was out with out for dinner with Tony Dwyer, one of our chief strategists at Canada Court. Uh, lovely dinner. It was nice to actually get back out again in Toronto. Uh, right in the court, too. It was nice. Nice uh, Wednesday dinner. Um, and uh, as the market has come up to, again, friends, I'm, I'm speaking technical, but it does matter. The 200-day the, the moving average. So what a, what a moving average is, friends, if you're not familiar with it, is just the average price of an instrument over the last 200 days. It smooths out the graph, so to speak, so you can get a better understanding of trend. And when, when market trades above the moving average, it's a bullish sign. And when the market trades below the moving average, it's a bearish sign. Um, the market has now rallied right back up and under, slightly over, depending on sector and, and, and index, to its 200-day moving average. So Tony thinks a normal correction would be to now retest or pull back, not all the way down to the low, but down to at least the, the 50-day moving average, which I guess, Don's what, about 7 8% away from here now? That's approximately right. That's a uh, pretty good estimate of what could happen in a uh, short-term correction. Um, but the important thing is not to be overly concerned about that uh, short-term correction. In fact, it's going to provide an excellent buying opportunity if it does happen. Some background, the markets were so oversold in June that uh, they have never been to the levels uh, except on five occasions during the last uh, 13 years. And every time after the market has uh, reached an extremely oversold level, we've had this huge recovery, first of all, in the f two months after the uh, bottom, and then a bit of a speed bump. And then after that, equity markets in both Canada and the United States move significantly higher, at least for the next year. You know, Don, I'm, I'm trying real hard, you know, as I hone my process and, 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 and my um, and my uh, philosophy towards money management matures, because that's what happens as we get older. Things do change. We do mature, hopefully, uh, for the better. But I go back to those corrections I mentioned to you. 1956-57, Suez Canal, market down 18%. Five years later, up 100%. 62, Cuban, Cuban uh, Missile Crisis, market down 22%. Five years later, up 87%. 67, six-day war in Israel, market down 22%. Five years later, up 85%. 1970 recession, which many people are speaking about, this could be like a, a 1970 environment. Market down 33%. Five years later, up 47 So on that trade, you're probably even. Then he had an oil shock in 73 to 74. Market down 48%. Um, five years later, up 106 and Again, you could say the Ukraine war, Russian war. Excuse me, the Russian war. Not the Ukrainian war. They're defending themselves. The Russian war uh, created an oil shock. Market corrected, of course, then bounced back. 79, another oil shock, down 20%, up 105%, five year. Every single time, uh, 82 was great, by the way, when, when interest rates ran up to, friends, did I say 15%? I'm about to. Interest rates moved to 15%. The market went down 24 And from the bottom, five years later, up 240%. Like, Long-term investors and wealth creators, you can't miss that next five-year bump up. You just can't. It can be detrimental to your long-term financial success. Guys like Don help Jack and I try to avoid those market corrections as best as possible. Um, but I guess what you're saying right here, Don, sort of suck it up for the next 5 6%, perhaps in September. You think 2023 can be a very good year? Oh, it certainly could be. Uh, you're referring to these speed bumps that happen on occasion. We're about to go into one right now. It has to do with, in, uh, with inflation rates and what the uh, Bank of Canada and the Fed are doing. They both, uh, both the Fed and Bank of Canada during the last uh, week have mentioned that they're happy that we're starting to see a, a peaking in, in inflation rates, but they both, both said that they're expecting to continue to ratchet up 
uh, interest rates uh, over the next uh, couple of months. A couple of dates to watch, uh, particularly watch uh, 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 September the 21st. That's when the FOMC next uh, gives us uh, prognostication for interest rates. And the expectation is that the Fed will continue to increase interest rates between 50 and 75 basis points. The important thing about that event is that'll probably be the last major event where the Fed will be increasing interest rates very sharply. And that'll set the stage for the next phase in the stock market, which is to see stock prices move significantly higher. But that probably is going to be the speed bump, what's going to happen with interest rates between now and September the 21st. Once we get past the speed bump, we're going to have some fun on the upside. Well, again, Don, uh, you, you, first of all, you said on, on, on this show, I'm going to say probably in June, uh, that you think a low is in for the market. Uh, you, you, Don, I don't know if you're aware, but you were so an outsider with that statement. You were contrary with that statement because consensus at that point in time was no way market's going to fall in the fall. And, I, and even our own strategist, Tony Dwyer, called it the fall, fall expecting, a, a retest of the lows. He's now saying probably not, probably down to the 50-day moving average. But again, Don, I want to share with you some fundamental talk about value. Uh, because, friends, the, way, the reason stocks go up over time is because companies make more money over time. If a company doesn't increase its earnings, if it earns the same amount each and every year, its share price over time will not change. It will be the same. Stocks go up because companies, stocks can only go up for the most part over time because companies make more money. So, Don, in, in, in speaking fundamentally about value, I asked Tony Dwyer at dinner on Wednesday, uh, the, I said, What's your estimate for the SP 500? It's earn, your earnings estimate for next year. He said, I don't have one yet. Uh, he said, But for this year, I, I stick with about two and a quarter. So, uh, right now, the SP is trading at 23, excuse me, at 4,300 points. And if you divide uh, 225, into that 4,300, you come up with a number of about 20, which is the PE multiple for the broad market. Uh, and with virtually no growth next year, you probably got yourself a stagnant market. So from a value point of view, if you, if you, if you think a 20 multiple uh, is, is the right number for the market, uh, he thinks the market's sort of stuck in the mud for the next 18 months. Where I, whereas I was in your camp a few weeks ago, the 2023 could be a great year. But when I think fundamentally without growth in the market, uh, what's, what's the catalyst to push share prices higher. So I want to throw that question to you, uh, Don, and get, and get your perspective on it. Yes, yeah, it's been interesting watching how the earnings reports have come out in both Canada and the United States over the last uh, couple of quarters. Uh, analysts have actually underestimated uh, results for the first half. For example, analysts were expecting earnings for the S&P 500 companies to increase by 4% in the second quarter. turns out they were quite wrong. Earnings actually increased by 6%. So what their analysts are doing is they're, they're underestimating expectations going forward. Now, looking at what the analysts are saying for the rest of this year, we're looking for a 9% increase in S&P 500 earnings and about 11% increase in revenues. If analysts are saying earnings are going to be improving and they have already underestimated the, the uh, results for revenues and earnings, we could see the stage set for a significant move on the upside for U.S. equity prices coming into the second, into the fourth quarter of this year. Something you taught me uh, again on this show. That's why I like bringing you on the show, Don. Jack and I are able to uh, do our due diligence and homework as, as we uh, entertain and inform uh, the, you know, uh, the Canadian public on this wonderful show, Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto. Um, 
but you, you, you mentioned to us the reason the market tends to be weak in September is because analysts come back to the market and we're actually too optimistic over the year and take their numbers lower. It's called earnings revisions, and they tend to revise their numbers lower for the quarter, which pushes the market down. So you're telling me, Don, that you think the revisions actually could be upward for the fall, contrary to what normally happens in the fall? Yeah, I'm suggesting that analyst estimates right now are just too low. Uh, and uh, when the actual results come out, uh, that's going to have a positive impact on equity prices going forward. Um, Jack and I subscribe to uh, Bespoke. Jack, I just want to uh, bring you in here. Um, and they have, what, what is it called, their triple plays, Jack, where they have an earnings. When companies come out with their earnings results, uh, there's three main metrics that the, that the street looks at. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's earnings per share beat, it's revenue beat, and it's, I think, guidance going forward, which is equally important. In fact, more important than what they stated is what they anticipate stating for the next quarter. Uh, and they're called triple plays when they, in fact, raise and beat across the metrics. And I guess, well, what Don's telling us is we're going to get a bit more of that this year. Um, but, uh, Jack, again, I, with everything I've just shared with you, and I shared with you some of Tony Dwyer's um, beliefs about the market for the fall, uh, please, uh, what's, your, what's your take for, for Don in this uh, conversation? I would say we sort of just drill down into it and look at the sectors because I, I think maybe Tony – Maybe underestimating the, the earnings power for the S&P 500, but I think you might see a disproportionate um, move, I guess, in, in sector earnings, meaning this last year we've had uh, oil and uh, energy companies, uh, you know, really pull, the, pull a heavy weight uh, on the earnings part of uh, for the S&P. Maybe that switches into banks or technology. So maybe we get uh, uh, Don's view on, you know, sector analysis and, and where he sees the earnings growth. If you look at the sectors that likely will perform well, uh, look at things like infrastructure and retail, both in Canada and the United States. They're the ones that are going to be expected to show above-average performance going forward. Uh, well, in terms of infrastructure, Don, what do you mean? What, 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 what parts of infrastructure do you like? Well, things that are uh, building things for pipelines, for example, or for highways, uh, anything to do with uh, structure. That means uh, mines and metals, it means industrials. Those are the uh, sectors which normally do quite well under those circumstances. What about energy itself, Don? You, you, sent, the, you sent me a good link yesterday. I want to thank you for that video link, Jack. And I forwarded it to you as well. Watch it, Jack. It's very good. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's very it's raw to boot. It's pure. It's raw. But it, it's very good. Um, Schnell was, was a fellow's name, wasn't it? The, the technician that you sent me, the, the YouTube link to Don about energy. Uh, and he went through his chart package. With basically a inconclusive summary, you know, market can the oil market can basically go either way. Pay a lot of attention. So I, I, I want to throw it back to you, uh, Don. Right here, right now, energy, carbon, that is, versus green, uh, the future. Uh, how would you uh, invest with that backdrop? And I want to throw one more element to it. Tony Dwyer said to me in the United States. I don't know how true this. I have to dig deeper and make sure I understood him correctly, but. He said to me, in the United States, endowment funds, which are great big charitable organizations, money that was bequeathed to society, endowment funds and pension plans can no longer own carbon-producing assets, which I found so hard to believe. But he said, Wolfie, it's true. It's actually, I think he said it was legislated. Do you know anything about that, Don? And I want, Jack, both your opinion, if that's good, that there's one less buyer of those energy names. And, Don, I want your opinion about what I just said to you about endowment funds and pension funds, no longer being able to buy carbon produced. I'm talking about oil stocks specifically. 
it's so you kind of sad right? because what you're talking you're talking about ESG, where uh, uh, pension funds have been limited to, to uh, certain types of investments, and they have not been allowed to be invested in the energy sector. That's unfortunate because the energy sector has been the strongest sector in equity markets over the last 18 months. So many of these uh, uh, funds have, have been unable to participate in this huge gain in the energy equity sector. So it's, it's in a sense, uh, it's unfortunate. But that doesn't mean that you and I can uh, are limited. We can still invest in the uh, energy sector. In fact, right now is probably a very good time to own some gassy stocks. Because historically, as you get into the uh, uh, fall time, you get hurricanes coming into the Gulf, which cause gas production to come down significantly, and that causes gas prices to move significantly higher. Very interesting seasonal trade. Indeed. We're speaking of energy, and we're going to take a quick break and get right back with uh, dear friend of mine, market technician, uh, Mr. Don Velo. Uh, quick break, Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto. Get right back to you. Stay tuned. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. And listen to my story about a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food and up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is, black gold, Texas tea. Welcome back, my friends. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto, show about money. I am Wolfgang Klein, portfolio manager. My partner, Jack Hartle, portfolio manager as well. That's right. Our clients get two for the price of one. Two PMs for the price of one. That's good. That's good. Indeed it is. Well, if you don't believe me, go on the website. You can see our results and our returns that we've put up for our clients over the last decade. Um, Becoming an advisor who publishes their returns uh, and have such a long-standing track record, you won't find one. Uh, nope, they don't publish. We do. Uh, each and every month, you can visit the site. You can see the updates. And if you want to get our market newsletter, please send us a note. Happy to include you on that. Uh, we're talking oil, uh, energy. Uh, it's a big part of the Canadian economy. But, well, apparently by the year 2050, we will be burning no more oil. So, quote-unquote, they say Jack, I want to open up with, and, and, and Don, quick question for you both before we get again to the specifics of the energy space. 2050, 30 years, not even, 28 years from now, do you, Jack and Don, see the world no longer consuming any barrels of oil? Ironically, it's, it's other countries that are actually increasing the use of oil and places like China and, and India. So what they're doing is they're using their oil to produce more goods. And we're trying to reduce our, our use of, of energy here in North America. So what's happening is more and more, uh, should we say, industry is starting to shift away from North America to these other nations. So the ESG approach towards looking after uh, our economies here in North America may be mis- misleading. There's an opportunity here for uh, uh, us to actually take advantage if we're able to uh, continue to produce energy at a at a reasonable cost. So uh, don't give up on the energy sector here in North America. There still are opportunities. 
Well, the company yeah, I would just so much money. Uh, sorry, Jack, but it's true they are spitting out cash like no tomorrow. And again, but they're not drilling new wells. They're not drilling holes in the ground to look for more crude because they're not. They're no longer incented, and just it's just not. They're not the same motivation there, which means it is it is a setup for a, another supply shock to the system down the road, just like we saw with Russia. Sorry, Jack, please join us. Yeah, thanks, Wolf. And uh, yeah, the 2050 targets that uh, I'm going to say Western governments have set, um, they're very aggressive, very ambitious. I think it's very positive that we, we set ambitious goals. Net-net, um, uh, I don't see us going net zero by 2050. Um, and I would just add that uh, you want to make sure that when we transition, as we transition, it's done responsibly. Because you, you see what happened, what's happened in Germany as you know, they tried to go too green too early. Uh, now they're reliant on natural gas from Russia. And they're going to be in for a tough winter this year um, just because, you know, liquid natural gas, you know, that's moving. It's increasing coming from North America, but not quick enough for them to, to get through their winter. And they're actually increasing their coal production and in usage right now in, in uh, Germany. So um, responsible transition to green energy, I think, is very important so we can sustain the life uh, standard of living that we have and also take care of our environment. Again, and this whole, friends at home, this important uh, thematics for the next 10 years um, is this ESG theme. We mentioned that, that acronym on the show umpteen times. It stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And as I read plethora of research each and every day from J.P. Morgan uh, to Morgan Stanley to, to RBC to Canaccord, uh, every analyst of every company designates at least one page out of 15 to the company's ESG strategy. I've never seen anything like it. And so even a company that doesn't produce a whole lot of carbon, like most tech companies are carbon light, uh, but of course they are running computers and they have an ESG strategy and all of that. All all tech companies seem to say, well, we are actually going to go green. Again, they're out in California, so that makes sense. Solar panels, that makes sense. To run their, uh, you know, computers. It doesn't take as much uh, uh, power to run some computers, but when you talk about big mills and production lines, uh, yeah, we're talking about the whole lot of power being uh, consumed. And again, you know, it's, 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 there's a lot of hypocrisy, I'd have to say, uh, throughout mankind, whereby we push the carbon consumption uh, to Asia, but we can continue to consume more and more Asian goods. So invariably, we continue to produce carbon. We just don't see it per se. Uh, but uh, I, I, I was, again, anecdotally, guys, we are certainly moving in the right direction. And I will say, uh, Canaccord just moved offices. We're now over on Temperance. Please come by and pay us a visit. Uh, 20 Temperance Street. Uh, sorry, 40 Temperance Street. Lovely little new digs that we got. Beautiful view. Uh, and slightly removed from Bay Street. I like that. Uh, slightly cleaner perspective. But um, I parked in the Scotia Tower. And every downtown parking lot now has these green charging stations, as you all know. But it's interesting. It really is because you don't see them on the highway because they're hard to identify. I can't believe how many Jeeps are now electric. I saw umpteen Jeeps, probably as many Jeeps as Teslas in the underground charging up. And they do charge for free. Someone's paying for the power, obviously, but not the owner of the vehicle. So it crossed my mind, too, that this e-thing is, is, is becoming a little more attractive as the days go by. Um, but anyway, I want to come back to oil. Uh, we own oil on our portfolio, Don. We own CNQ. We own Suncor. We own Exxon, uh, all of which are doing fine. I own some freehold royalty. That's a good position. Um, uh, it's just a royalty play. Um, but the oil services, uh, Schlumberger and the OIH I own, Don, uh, they've been causing me a little bit more grief. And I am hearing some more pushback on energy, so I was almost tempted to do a little energy trimming. Uh, Don, I'm going to say to you, 
direct oil, we have about 12% of our assets invested in that space. What's your opinion on that, Don? Is that the right amount? Is it too much? Is it too little based on the landscape? It depends upon the client that you're dealing with. What's happening with the oil and gas companies is they're taking their cash flows. Instead of putting it into the ground, they're uh, buying back their own shares and they're increasing their dividends. So now it's it become more of a value play as opposed to a growth play. But that's fine. That means that certain kinds of investors, particularly value investors, will want to own the energy sector going forward. Don, in five years, do you think Suncor and C&Q, um, dividends aside, uh, but they're going to raise those dividends over that five-year period, are those companies worth more or less money, in your opinion, in five years? I think if you own them, you're going to get a lot of dividends. You're going to get uh, more shares. Ultimately, the value is going to be significantly higher than, than current levels. Okay. Sorry, Jack. Go ahead. Just Don talking about, you know, the limited amount of capital that's being spent in the energy patch. Uh, you know, they need exploration and production, and we've talked about that, just to replace the barrels in the ground uh, just due to natural declines. Uh, the fact that oil companies are not doing that right now or at, at the pace that they have in previous cycles and returning, you know, uh, cash through, whether it's dividends, share buybacks, those types of things, makes it very positive for, like you said, an investor that's seeking income. Obviously, we most people use energy. Most people use oil in their everyday lives. Um, and, you know, we kicked off the segment talking about the endowments and pension funds. You know, they're also starving the, the sector from capital. So one last buyer out there, uh, supply and demand dictates. Anyone knows, anyone that's been in a bidding war, you know, for a house over the last, you know, two years knows that when there's a bidding war, that the price tends to go higher. When there's less buyers, you tend to get more value, which you're seeing, I'm going to say, in the Canadian real estate, real estate market, just to give you a little parallel there. Well, yeah, you know, you got to think, again, if they're drilling less holes in the ground looking for less oil, that the oil price should ultimately go higher. But the technicals on the oil price, based on that uh, homework I did last night uh, in that YouTube video, was the trend for the oil price, in fact, is probably lower. And if, if, if ultimately Russia pulls out of Ukraine, you'd have to think, Another 10 bucks or 15 bucks of geopolitical risk premium will be taking out of crude. But I want to pivot over to Europe. Uh, winter is upon us, not yet, but you know it's not too far away. And they're saying it's going to be a really cold, tough winter for Europeans, i.e., with their energy supply and uh, prices. Uh, Don, do you know by any chance um, that gas in, in, in North America is selling for what's called $9? Per British thermal unit BTU, nine bucks per BTU. That's how they measure natural gas. Uh, oil is oil is trading. Call it ninety bucks right now a barrel. Um, so it's basically a, a tenth of the price of oil. Uh, I caught that nat gas in Europe is trading at the oil equivalency of four hundred dollars, which tells me that nat gas must be trading at about fifty dollars per BTU in Europe. Is that close to being accurate, Don? In your opinion? Yes, and look at the arbitrage between the two. Uh, there's huge opportunities for Canada and the United States to produce uh, LNG and ship it over to uh, Europe. And that's going to develop here in Canada as well as the United States. It already has developed in the United States quite significantly, and we're just starting here in Canada. So there's a growth opportunity for Canada, particularly uh, producing natural gas off the east coast of Canada and shipping it over to Europe. Aha, uh-huh. because they were also talking about creating facilities in the West Coast, uh, and I don't think that ever went through, did it? 
They're still trying. Well, of course, they're getting close to completing the, the, the Trans Mountain uh, facilities, and they're also developing another pipeline to uh, Riversland. Uh, the, the, eventually, that'll mean more natural gas production here in Canada, which will be shipped uh, to the east as well. Um, Don, I got about 30 seconds for you. I, I want to g- g- give me your brief opinion on what the bond market is telling you about the state of the economy and the state of the overall market. Call it for the next 12 to 18 months. 30 seconds for you on that one. Yeah, what you're seeing is bond prices are, are starting to peak, like the uh, inflation rate. And there's expectations that we're probably going to see interest rates over the next, say, 18 months or so start to come down. That'll be positive for equity markets as well. So uh, stay tuned. Things are getting lined up for both the bond and the stock market over the next 18 months. Well, the thing I'm going to be paying most attention to, John, is the um, earnings uh, revisions by both the analysts and the companies uh, as they uh, begin to report their results in the fall. And again, uh, I guess the quarterly results start to come out early October and that's, again, the reason for the market to get cheery again. It's not as bad as we thought, and hopefully better than anticipated. So we've got to get through, I guess, the next four and a half, five weeks. Uh, October 1 probably uh, through, I think, much of the, the mud, shall I say. Speaking of mud, if you get a chance, watch the documentary on Netflix on Woodstock 99. What a disaster that was. Uh, pure entertainment, my good friends. Uh, Hi-Fi Radio says thank you to Don Vila once again, market technician, uh, 40-year veteran a very passionate investor and a very socially responsible um, giver, I shall say. Uh, all the best to you, Don. Have yourself a great weekend. We're going to speak with our very own market technician, Javid Mirza, uh, market technician directly for Canaccord right after the break. You want to stay right after the break. Stay tuned for that, my good friend. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. I am Wolfgang Klein. If you're just tuning in, I'm a portfolio manager. I manage money, uh, lots of it, for about 275 distinguished clients. Indeed, private wealth management, we call it. And, uh, well, it's, we're very passionate about what we do. And it's a pleasure to do the show each and every Saturday. We bring a wonderful guest. Uh, I learn as I do. Um, very powerful. Uh, so you get to witness firsthand what it's like to sit on some Bay Street and Wall Street meetings. And uh, Jack and I are going to have a wonderful dinner at, uh, I think it's High Steakhouse. Lucky us. Uh, I'm looking forward to it with Rafi Tamazian in September, uh, one, of the, one of the utmost energy experts in Canada. I can't wait to sit beside that smart man and pick his brain some more. He's been on the show, as you may know, many times. Um, but right now we're going to spend some time with a very, very smart man, Mr. Javid Mirza. He's, a, he's another certified market technician, but he works directly for Canaccord. Uh, uh, Javid, I want to start with, I think you like the last... Um, uh, full-service brokerage um, market technician on the street. I think the banks got rid of all of you guys. Uh, and I can't tell you how delighted I am that we have you working with us because I think you're a huge asset and why they would 
extinguish uh, market technicians beyond me. Maybe you can speak to that for 30 seconds. Like, what gives? Uh, that, I have no idea. I can't really speak directly to that rationale. I know, like, especially working with wealth management, I love working with them. Um, they love our work. They find it really useful uh, across the board, not only here in my previous role at, uh, as well. They were really, really disappointed uh, when, uh, you know, they got the news that uh, we would no longer be there. But you know what? Uh, you know, we're here working with you guys now. It's funny because I, I actually still get some requests from uh, people on the bank side uh, for our work. So we, oh, we I definitely know. my tongue right now, but don't, don't, don't. Unless they give, they better reciprocate. Forget it. Let them yeah. join us, and then you can get they can yeah. have your work. Hey, eh? well, hold back, baby. Just just tease them a little bit and make them miss you. That's what you well, got to do. You know what? It's it. unfortunate because I loved working with a lot of people there. I just I just find working with wealth management uh, is uh, you know they understand our work and we're trying to do the best they can. Ultimately, for everyone listening on the call, we're trying to help you guys with retirement planning and helping you have, you know, you've worked hard enough through your career and now it's, you know, our job to help you guys navigate a a safe and comfortable and stress-free retirement. Well, let me tell you what I want, what I want, what I want, what I really, really, really want is I want to get through the seasonal scary period. Uh, Just had Don Vila on. Uh, do you know Don Vilo, Javit? I met him once, and uh, I've, uh, like, I, all my interactions with him have been really positive. Yeah. Well, again, he used to work on your previous desk uh, at that yeah. bank that you and I both worked at. Uh, yeah. So he's very familiar with your work and your style, um, uh, your house style, shall I say. Uh, so his comment was, um, yeah, markets had a good move due to pullback probably in September. Uh, but he said the, 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 the street numbers, the, the, the revisions uh, for, for on, on companies, the analyst revisions and, and guidance from companies is going to actually be better than anticipated, um, tying into the presidential cycle. He thinks the market sets the, is, is setting the stage, you know, pullback in September, you buy it, uh, you're going to be very happy by the end of 2023. But Javid, again, I want to share something else with you. I was out with Tony Dwyer last night or two nights ago for dinner, and he said, Wolfie, you know, if the S&P earns two and a quarter this year uh, at 4,400, it's basically fully valued. It's right now 4,300. That gives you 100 points of upside. Call that 2% by the end of next year. That didn't make me very happy, but I had to, you know, I have to respect the facts. And so I'm sort of stuck between, you know, being bullish and neutral now as opposed to quite bullish on 2023. I throw it over to you, Jeff. But what's, what's your take on how uh, the next 18 months plays out? Take me to the end of uh, 2023, where we sit in market-wise. Okay, well, to, to do that, why don't we first time walk back sure. to 2021. So if you recall, and I'm not sure if you have a database of all your, you know, of, of your radio calls, but you can they're listen to the, They're posted on the website, they're podcasted, they're all right, so, there for your like, my good friend. Yeah, so I don't know if, they, if you have it by guess, but if you can, you basically rewind to what we said at the start of 2021. So we said, hey, look, we think that the start of the year is going to be fun, but in the second half of the year, get ready to run. And there's a reason for that. I know we've got a two-minute countdown. It's going to take me more time. So why don't we just wait until we get the, the, the break? And then go on, you're detail. right. In 2021, middle of it, you, you said it, be cautious. The four-year cycle is going to reset. 
And exactly. you, 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 you may have been six months early. You may have been, depending on what sector, NASDAQ, you were very, very timely on that. And you're right. The reset occurred 2022. You made a great call. Uh, yeah. We had it. So where are we now in the reset? But uh, all that aside, there's also fundamentals, economic and earnings that do matter. Uh, yeah. So carry for I'll give you 60 seconds and we'll go jump to a break. Get back to you. Perfect. So here's what I would say. All the signs that we're seeing is that we're getting through that, what we call the four-year cycle reset, the contraction phase of the business cycle. One of the things we're really watching is crude oil. If it continues to come off here, that's going to be really positive for equity markets and the consumer. And all of this is telling us that, hey, look, we're on the cusp, in our view, of starting a new four-year cycle. And then when we come back from commercial break, we'll tell everyone what we think are going to be some of the leadership areas in this new cycle. And the laggers. And again, uh, you you sort of uh, uh, leaked it out. Lower oil, good for the broad market, not necessarily the Canadian one, but the global market, because a lot more money in everyone else's jeans. But I, I'm also an energy investor, and uh, so I have to be very vigilant as to how I uh, invest that portion of my dollars. Look, let's take a quick break, pay some bills around here, and get right back with Jeff and Mirza, Jack Hartle, and myself, Wolfgang Klein. We're here to help you have more wealth. Grab a drink, turn up your radio, join us in about two minutes. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Radio 640 Toronto. It is Saturday night. After all, we have a little fun, a little spring in our stride to keep us going. Uh, keep us up at night, eh? No, no. When it comes to money management, we don't want to keep you up at night. We want to allow you to have high sleep factor. So <laughs> with that phrase in mind, uh, Javit, um, first and foremost, market-wise, let me ask a question. Uh, two questions. Number one, what keeps you up at night? And then number two, um, looking out 12 to 18 months, sectors and countries of preference for uh, the investor out there. So what I would say keeps me up at night is we had a pretty close scare. And, you know, we're not necessarily out of the woods yet with commodities ripping higher for the first half of the year and yields pushing higher, too. So that is the biggest concern. And it remains, I think it's those concerns have been alleviated uh, quite a bit over the last couple of months. But in general, higher rates and higher commodity prices, because then that spells the real threat that we're shifting into a secular bear market. Basically, what we saw in 2000 to 2010 and then more back before then in the 60s to 70s, uh, sorry, 70s to 80s when we had stagflation. But that threat uh, appears to be receding. Sectors and areas of the market we like, uh, we like uh, renewable energy, we like uh, uh, biotech is another area of the market that looks uh, pretty interesting and attractive. 
And that's all part of our bigger thesis uh, that we've been working on over the last couple of years, just man's quest for immortality. And then finally, in terms of country preference, uh, given the big move in resources that you typically see late cycle, the TSX has outperformed over the last uh, almost two years or year and a half at least. And we think we're going to see a shift back towards uh, the U.S., uh, potentially Asia and, and Europe, and I think the TSX, and uh, also with that, other commodity-heavy countries such as Australia are likely to be laggards over the next two years. Well, um, what about emerging markets then? Again, because I, when I was out for dinner with Tony Dwyer, I asked him the same question, Javid, and mm-hmm. Tony Dwyer said, well, you know, if we get through the recession fears and interest rates uh, chill out, um, emerging markets will be the play. Uh, I said, well, Canada included, because Jack always says we're like an emerging market. And we are like an Mm -hmm. emerging market in many ways. So uh, emerging markets versus Canada, are they the same bucket? Uh, Similar bucket. And so, but so somewhat like, so Brazil is like Canada, more commodity heavily weighted. So I definitely, I I, I think those are going to sit on the sidelines or be underperformers. So, so, So Canada may underperform next year. So we had two years. Uh, in the sun, and that's it. Back to the back burner. And, but you, so you therefore think America is going to outperform Canada yes. next year? Correct. Yeah, I think you know small caps, the Nasdaq. Those are the areas of the market that, right now, if things continue, and there's we're seeing a lot of signs that suggest they will, uh, those are going to be the areas uh, that are going to outperform. Would you therefore sell some loonies to buy some U.S. dollars to buy some of those beautiful U.S. companies here? I think so. Yeah. Ha. Huh. Interesting. Well, again, we, we repatriated a bunch of money back from America to Canada, I'd say about 12 months ago, which was a good move. Unfortunately, yeah. we, have to, we have to go back at the, back to the teller and uh, put that currency back. Um, yep. again, you know, it, it, the, the issue, that's a, I'm going to share with you a, a cute little line that I learned, Javid. Um, and listener at home, this is a great line. Never forget it. Uh, a portfolio is like a bar of soap. The more you touch it, the smaller it gets. Uh, I am really about the long-term thinking, uh, Jab. I think that's the smartest thing for uh, the average Canadian to participate in um, is longer-term thinking of, of blue-chip quality and of diversity. And with, with that table set, uh, any, any suggestions, any, any, any buys or pans out there? Yeah, so look, that's exactly, I, I agree with that thinking 100%. I think unless you're really uh, experienced, uh, anyone trying to, to do any of the kind of stuff we're talking about for very experienced investors are, are going to, for a variety of reasons, are, are, are going to underperform. So the best thing for the average investor is just figure out which long-term blue chip companies they like and invest in those or even just in an index fund. Now, for experienced and astute investors, uh, what we try to do is guide them at the margin, which areas of the market we think are going to outperform, and then they can overweight and underweight as they see fit. So in terms of overweight, uh, cyclicals, consumer discretionary, information technology, communication services are are coming back online, but more so in the U.S., and then in terms of underweighting, looks like energy and materials. And as a result, I think that's why you're going to see uh, the uh, emerging markets uh, come uh, under a bit of pressure uh, uh, as well. But I do think China, especially some of the more infotech areas uh, or countries, are going to be uh, performers. Well, what about the Canadian dollar then? Uh, what's your call for it next year? Well, it's going to be in line with our call on commodities. So I yeah. think it's lower. Yeah. Lower lower unit, 
But the U.S. dollar has been so strong. Uh, and, and that's our, yeah, and it's been stronger than we anticipated, too. And it's funny, that's our call, been our call for the secular bull, that the U.S. dollar is going to be better bid. I've been surprised by the strength. But the, the thing that I like about our story holistically is everything fits together. Because if the U.S. dollar remains strong, and it's because people are buying U.S. products and U.S. equities, that is going to put downward pressure on commodities as well. Hmm. Very interesting. Very, uh, Jack, uh, we got a few minutes left. Any uh, any uh, final uh, questions for Javid? Sure. Yeah, thanks, Wolf. Uh, bull or bear market, Javid? So the first seven months of the year have been obviously a bear market. What mm-hmm. would qualify for us to actually exit that and you know continue on with this secular bull? So I'm already seeing signs at the margin, uh, a variety of stocks breaking out to, to new highs that are really positive. So that is what we're seeing. And it's actually, we're going to talk about it in our note this weekend. But at the margin, everything I'm seeing uh, suggests we're shifting uh, from uh, that bear market, that four-year cycle reset we've been talking about, and into the start of a new four-year cycle. Jeff, you called that well. That's been that very, very helpful. I do think uh, we are out of time here, my good friends. Jack, Jack, enjoy the rest of your vacation. I appreciate you uh, pivoting from family to Muskoka life to finance. But, uh, well, it's all one, isn't it? It's all one, my good friends. Uh, friends, be safe. Have a great weekend. Uh, love thy neighbor. Uh, may God bless you. And, uh, well, may Jack and I help you have more wealth. Tune in next weekend. Look forward to spending another hour with you. Hi-Fi Radio 640, Toronto. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardhill, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.